Now, we could go about three to four hours, I reckon, on the podcast today, but seeing as we're one short, W. Smith and M. Russell have been abandoned by Lara Pitt, who's off-shooting part of a Fox Sports uh, promo shoot today. She may lob at some point, but if she doesn't, we're going to try and uh, carry the show on our own. I don't know how we're going to do it without Lara because I want to hear about the Dragons and what's happening with George Illawarra off the back of the disastrous performance down there at Wollongong at Wynn Stadium last night. Matty, good to see you. And uh, I did a bit of travelling over the weekend. I caught about 40,000 field goals between <laughs> Brisbane and Gosford. I've seen more field goals than I've seen in couple of years of footy. The first NRL draw in three years was hello to you and yes, maybe Lara is uh, lamenting the Dragons rather than being at this promo shoot as she tells us because as far as I'm concerned the Dragons are gone now. Three straight Wollongong games. They needed to win in my opinion all three. Definitely two of three. They won one of three in this important run. So they're gone. We'll get to our not really mid-year report cards, second term. Let's yeah. call it that because second of three terms, we're two-thirds of the way through the regular season, that to come later on. But there was a big talking point, wasn't there, out of the final game of the round, the first send-off of the season. And it might have been a fairly obvious one, but as we said on this particular podcast a couple of weeks ago, it was only a matter of time given they said, well, you know, we're going to clamp down and there was all the hue and cry about players not being uh, sent off um, for a couple of different situations. Uh, one of them, an eye gouge, including George Burgess or involving George Burgess. So it was no surprise that when we saw the tackle last night that um, Nick Kotrick put on Tim Lafayette. It was a pretty obvious one, I thought, given the new... I mean, it might have been a send-off anyway, maybe four or five weeks ago. Maybe it wasn't. It probably was placed on report and let the match review committee deal with it afterwards. But given uh, what's happened in the last couple of weeks, it was uh, a given, I think, that it was going to be a send-off. And they, they did the right thing. I've got no issues with that being a send-off. Um, it was, it's unfortunate. And Ricky Stewart's come out very heavily as the Raiders coach trying to support his player immediately after the game. And he's within his right to do that. Um, and the only reason he's done that is because he's feared straight away given that he knew it was going to be a, a fairly big talking point and uh, have people um, firing up saying this is going to be a lengthy suspension. Well, that's the why he went into bat for his player and it will be a lengthy suspension. We haven't seen the charge. Grade three yet. was. Oh, grade it's three, out, is it? Looking at three weeks on the sideline. And Ricky came to the defence of his player saying it's not a spear tackle getting stuck into people who suggested it was. Look, you could perhaps mount an argument along those lines because it doesn't have that classic spearing into the turf type movement that we saw through the 80s and 90s seasons past, but that's all to the side. For me, it was a dangerous tackle that has the potential to go catastrophically wrong and rather than worrying about what we're going to do when there's a, a young man in a wheelchair, I'd rather get a little bit too tough or a little bit too heavy if that's the way some people criticise it now. So let's make sure that as soon as players are lifting opponents in tackles like that, there is an alarm going off in the back of their mind. The only way we'll do that is by coming down strong, by sending off, and then by hitting with grade threes, grade fours, whatever they are now, and making sure that the players pay a price and therefore going forward, them and their colleagues know, hey, we can't be doing this. Otherwise, we know what the outcome will eventually be. Yeah, the NRL got very serious about these sorts of tackles about 15 years ago, and there's no doubt um, the, the ramping up of, of points and suspensions for players who are guilty of lifting or dangerous throw-type tackles um, certainly has had an effect. There's no question we don't see as many tackles like that one as we once did. Um, and I know this because I went through a, a big thing with biomechanics experts and, and doctors and who knows 
what, um, yeah, like I say, 15 years or so ago, oh, I spoke to David Gallup, who was the CEO at the time, spoke to Graham Annesley about, you know, some of them I believed were just pure, absolute accidents. But for the most part, no, I, I believe that was an accident yesterday. There's no way that Absolutely uh, Nick Kotrick wanted to do what he did. He did. It wasn't, as you say, an old-fashioned spear tackle where a player was held and he came in, picked him up mm. under, between the legs and tipped him into the ground like you used to see and it used to be the tackle of the week back in the 70s. Um, <laughs> those days are long gone and, and rightfully so. Um, and he'll do his time and, and be back um, you know, in the run to the finals for the Raiders. But it was always going to attract a suspension and and given the, the, uh, the length of the suspension, I think it's about it. it is a send-off and I've got no issues with it. Good bloke, irrelevant, not in his game, Doesn't irrelevant, yep. accidental, largely irrelevant. We have to do what we can to make sure that the reactions, that the tackles don't lead towards that sort of situation. Enough said. Uh, also, given the spear, but in a different sense... Garth Brennan at the Gold Coast Titans was. I'll go first. I've been lucky enough to get to know Garth very well through his under-20s and reserve-grade coaching career. I don't believe that you can have the success that Garth has had in other teams and then all of a sudden lose it as you step up to NRL level. Even though the NRL is a different beast completely with the spotlight, the man management, all the ingredients that go into it, I know it's different, but I know you don't forget or lose the ability to coach so quickly. So where does the blame lie? Garth will probably accept part of it in terms of some of the recruitment that he has come up with. But surely some of it has to go on the players as well, who I called Gold Coast against Penrith and they were diabolical. A few ends to sets, stay in the memory is just beyond bad. So, um, yes, Garth paid a price. We knew it was coming and uh, he will own that. But I tell you what, he shouldn't be the only scapegoat on the Gold Coast and I hope he gets another gig quickly. Well, and some of the scapegoats have to be the board. The, the Rugby League Club has been in dire circumstances in recent seasons. They were owned at one point by the NRL. They were out backwards um, financially. Uh, they've got themselves back now in a situation where they're better off financially, but it's a long, slow build, and it's not going to happen in, in the space of two years. And as it turns out, Garth Brennan was only given 18 months. He wasn't even given two years, basically. So he's had two off-seasons, um, and, and that was it to try and turn the place around. And in that time, in the second of those two seasons, he's had his main playmaker, Ash Taylor, sitting on the sidelines for issues that he has away from the game itself. So it's a you know diabolical situation as a coach. You're halfback and you're the million-dollar man of the team isn't able to play because he's got you know things happening in his life away from rugby league which are impacting on his ability to play for the Gold Coast Titans and do what you want him to do. And in amongst all this, you spear the coach and say, well, mate, you're gone. And the next bloke, whether it's Craig Fitzgibbon or whoever it is gets the job, it won't be Kevin Walters by the looks of things, um, you know, they'll probably sign him for three years, but he won't get three years. He'll get 18 months. And if he hasn't turned the ship around in 18 months, he'll get the spear as well. And I guarantee you, whoever does the job won't turn the Titans around in the space of two seasons. It's a much longer build than that. And we've spoken about the stadium itself it's not, not situated well. It's hard to get to. You can't park anywhere near it. It's public transport. There's a train station nearby, but it's a long, slow effort to get anywhere. The train line doesn't really lead, I think, the fans to where they live, quite obviously, because there aren't enough fans going. Now, I know winning is the best form of marketing, and they haven't won for quite some time. But if winning is your only plan to get this team turned around, then they are going to be on the wrong end of things for a long, long time to come. And I, would, I, would, I wouldn't recommend the job to anybody. Craig Bellamy 
knock back the, the West Tigers back in the early 2000s because he didn't feel that was the right fit for him. He didn't think the club was in the right place for him to take his first coaching role in the NRL. And I would say right now, given what happened with Neil Henry, the, basically the board then chose Jared Hayne over Neil Henry. They went, we, we're going to we go with the star player and we're going to get rid of the coach to keep the star player. How did that turn out for the Gold Coast Titans? And how has this turned out for Garth Brennan? He took it as a chance to get, there's only 16 jobs and they come along infrequently one or two a year, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't recommend anybody taking the job. I would say to Craig Fitzgibbon, if he's in the, in the, in the hunt, or to Adam O'Brien, all the assistant coaches who will now come, um, you know, under, in focus for the Gold Coast Titans, I would say to each of them, don't take this job. This, this is a bad situation, and if this is the game plan that the board keep churning out, they'll go through this, pre- they'll go through this process every two years. I'll keep sacking coaches every two years for the next decade and in 2030 they'll be sitting there going, well, how do we end up, you know, moving the Gold Coast Titans from here to Brisbane or to Perth or wherever and the club never eventuated to what it could have been? Th- that's what will happen. Well, as you've said it, there's only 16 NRL first grade coaching jobs, so that means there are many, many desperate men clambering for a job, which means someone is going to take it. The two coaches so far, caretakers aside, have been John Cartwright and Neil Henry. First two seasons under John Cartwright, 12th and 13th. First two seasons under Neil Henry, 14th and 14th. Garth didn't even get two seasons. He got one and a bit to try and make something. And then in the third year of each of those two prior coaches, they made the finals. So Garth was taking a big picture approach. The board wasn't. He's gone after winning only four games so far this season. And I look at it, the most successful coach at the Gold Coast Titans has been the inaugural coach who spent eight seasons there. He had some surety. Despite all the problems that were going on outside of the team, he took them to third in 2009, John Cartwright, fourth in 2010, when they had a near full Seabus uh, Super Stadium for a, a final there that was fantastic. There, the, That's been the successful period. A bloke who spent then his third and fourth season went on to spend eight there. They need to sign someone long-term and give them a long-term uh, edict to fix the club. Garth was given that, but he wasn't really given that. Yeah. Well, they were flying under Neil Henry. They were going well under Neil Henry, yeah. weren't they? Yeah. And then they signed Jared Hayne. And that was the beginning of the end for the Gold Coast Titans as far as contenders for the title and also Neil Henry's tenure there. And just be, you know, buyer beware as far as the coaches are concerned. When Neil Henry was given the sack by the Titans, what he was owed, he didn't get 100 cents on the dollar. Mm. They negotiated with him and he took a, a portion of what he was owed because he felt there was, just, there was no way to get what he was owed. And he could have taken legal action against them and spent his own money in, in getting what he was owed. He figured he'd cut his losses, take what they offered him or negotiated and, and a payout, a settlement, but it wasn't 100 cents on the dollar. And I don't know what will happen with Garth Brennan. We'll wait and see if it's a similar situation for him. You don't only find out from Garth Brennan and or somebody very close to the situation, but buyer beware when you do business with the Gold Coast Titans. Yep, and I liken it to uh, Neil Henry. When he was cast aside, they were bamboozled by the flash, sexy broad, and they turned their back on the loyal, hardworking, achieving wife. And, And look what happened.
Then the broad was gone and the wife was gone as well and they were left with no one. They got Garth. He had no time and here's where we're at. Yep. That's, that's that period, that Jared Hayne period and Neil Henry's departure from the club and then Jared Hayne mm. saying, see you later, I'm out of here. Um, and he might have had very good reasons for doing that. But, it, you know, an embarrassing period for the club. And here they are still stumbling around, fumbling around. Now, Mal Meninga has produced a review. Let's hope the review um, sets the club in the, on the right path and they can get things going because it's not great seeing a club just go through the motions as they are. And let's hope Ash Taylor is back on deck at some stage in the future and he has got his life sorted out and can play the sort of football and, ha- and live the life that he wants to lead as well off the, off the field. So a number of reasons at the moment while they're not going anywhere and... Yeah, I, I couldn't recommend that job to anybody at the moment. I've had injuries and, you know, this is not going to excuse Gold Coast of winning only four games, but you, you look through their round one team and it's uh, pale in comparison to where they are now with injuries and unavailability, suspensions, players who haven't uh, stacked up. And, um, yeah, the price has been paid by Garth Brennan. I mean, the, and I saw a quote from somebody connected with the club over the past couple of days, whether it's the chairman... Uh, but they, you know, praised Garth Brennan for bringing through the likes of Jai Whitbread and AJ Brimson and Milwaukee Futawaki. Yeah. And um, it, it's, that's great. It's, yeah, thanks very much for wrapping me for bringing these youngsters through and getting them into first grade, but I can't actually coach them and develop them as players to try and help turn this club around. I don't get the benefit of the doubt here and say, you know, what about the young players I've brought through? You know, I've planted the seeds. I'm growing the plants. You're going to let somebody else reap the crop? Uh, just, you know, just there's lots of things going on there. They, Like I say, they, they, they are the West Tigers. The West Tigers are in this, this cycle of sacking coaches every couple of years. Now, I know Ivan Cleary jumped ship, but here they are. They've had six coaches in eight their last eight seasons, the Tigers, including a couple of interims. So... If you, you can very easily find yourself in these situations and just keep repeating. Here's their round one team, and I'll ask listeners to just have a thought about this player, and I'll chuck in whether they're injured or not, as to whether they've lived up to expectations under Garth this season. Michael Gordon was the fullback. Brenko Lee was on one wing. Uh, Philip Sammy on the other. Now, Philip Sammy has had injuries. Tyrone Peachy and Brian Kelly were in the centres. Brian has been their standout attacking option. Tyrone Roberts and AJ Brimson in the halves. You give both them a tick. There was no Ash Taylor, and he's been missing for the bulk of the season. Jared Wallace, Nathan Peets, Shannon Boyd, the front row. Now, Nathan Peets had that long stint out with injury. Then you get to Kevin Proctor, rock solid. Ryan James, the captain, gone with the ACL. Jai Arrow, he's picked up an injury. Fodawaker has been a bright point. Max King has since left the cup. Bryce Cartwright hasn't really delivered since moving from Penrith. And Dale Copley has had injuries. So I've listed a number of injuries and the listeners can make up their minds on the other players. Have they delivered for Garth Brennan? Enough on Garth. I've got to find a new coach. Let's move to happier times. And the happiest field of all this round was Amy Park. Can you come up with a, a brighter field? No, it was outstanding in the scenes afterwards as well with all the fans going onto the field for the presentation for Cameron Smith was outstanding as well. And it was quite the weekend. A thousand games being brought up 
brought up by three players in Benji Marsh and also Gavin Cooper. Uh, you and I were at Gosford yesterday and the brilliant sunshine. I mean, there's something I about loved it there. afternoon footy. It was great. You know, it was a, a terrific occasion. Obviously, a lot more Roosters fans than there were Cowboys fans, but I thought he got a great ovation, Gavin Cooper. A lot of respect there shown for him. And he, he played a great game. He, he was mm. a big part of what they did in upsetting the defending champs yesterday. So, And his, his record... As far as milestone games is concerned, you brought it to us yeah. yesterday. It's it's remarkable. I just like when we come to a milestone game, I do just like to go back through each game, see if they won on debut. And sure enough, I was going, yeah, he won on debut, won 100, won 200, now he's won 300. I, I like the stories that go on around a milestone. And all the milestone men uh, bought into it really well. Sometimes you have some reluctant milestone players, and that's fair enough. It's, the limelight isn't for everyone. But the three of them uh, met their obligations and I think really allowed themselves to enjoy it. I think it's fair to say. Gav yesterday told me that his grandmother had texted him the morning of the match, which that was the only time I saw a little crackle in the voice and, and a real sense of accomplishment from Gavin when he said he'd just received a text from his grandmother. He had his wife, Tennille, and his two sons there, Archie and Reggie, and a little behind-the-scenes story that I loved because the boys were in the thick of it all day in Dad's arms at full time, running out with Dad in the tunnel after full time when one of them was either Archie or Reggie, I, I couldn't pick them, was in hysterics. He, he was hysterical, upset, something had scared him. And he ran up to mum and said, the big chicken's chasing me. <laughs> it was the rooster. The rooster had scared the living daylights out of uh, Rocky Cooper the Jr. Rocky the rooster. Not meaning to, of course, trying to, you know, have fun with the youngster <laughs> in the tunnel, but if you're a little he'd kid, seen a ghost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, things that big are just scary yeah. in general, aren't they? <laughs> the big chicken's chasing Foghorn, me. Foghorn Leghorn you know, is chasing me around the field. I can see a 30-year-old man down the track who can't go into the frozen chicken aisle in Coles. He's been That's scarred right. by it. Scarred for life <laughs> by Rocky the Rooster on a Sunday afternoon at Gosford. Uh, but well done, Gavin Cooper, a winner, and well done, Cam Smith and... Benji tried hard, showed us those flashes of brilliance, but he didn't mark 300 with a winner. It was well done all round and well done by the NRL to uh, mark the milestone. Cam Smith, 400. Does he get to 450? It'll go very close because they still have, say, um, eight games to go in the minor premiership. If they play three games, they make the grand final, uh, which means they would likely play, given their position, they would likely play three more. So there's 11. Mm. So he makes it to 411 if they go all the way to the GF uh, this year. And then let's say he plays next year and they make the finals next year. Why wouldn't they make the finals next year? Um, There's another... 20, you know, seven, or if he plays them all, or let's say, let's say, you know, 24 games next year. So there's, uh, that takes him to what, 435. And then I'm not ruling out him playing in 2021. No, he has insinuated that don't necessarily assume next year is going to be my last. Uh, he has said, while well, ever I'm loving it, and clearly he loves it. I think you've described him as a lifer, and <laughs> that's exactly the case. And the most phenomenal thing about Cam Smith, he made his debut in 02, not a full season. His first full season was 2003. Every season since then, he has topped 20 games for the season, playing in the middle, making you 40, 50 tackles per game, whatever it is, plus Origin, plus Australia. So from 2003 inclusive onwards, he hasn't been below 20 games for a season. That That is staggering. Doesn't get hurt. He had an elbow injury, oh, I'm going to say, is it a... Oh. Eight years ago. 2010, uh, he played 20 games. Right. So and I'm that was his say, lowest yeah, tally. That might have been when he – did he hurt himself playing for Australia at Amy Park, had an elbow injury and might have missed 
a few games there. But the vast majority of games he's missed have come from being rested off the back of Origin games or missing Origin or missing games while he's away on Origin duty. So to go as long as he has, 400 games, and miss literally a handful of games through injury and be able to play with injury. Mm. And I've seen him back up from Origin games. I remember one about three or four years ago, he hurt his ankle playing in Origin and the Storm were playing the Cowboys on a Friday night or a Saturday night a couple of days after the game in Townsville and nobody expected him to play. He's just played Origin. He's got an ankle injury as well. He hobbled his way around the field and led his team up there in a game against the Cowboys. So... His ability to play with pain is is legendary, mm. um, and a number of times it looks like he'll miss you know two or three weeks. He plays the next week. It just just the way it is with Cameron Smith. So, well uh, done to Tim Sheridan and the team. Cam four hundred special on Saturday night was beautifully put together. Jump onto Ko or Foxtel Go if you haven't seen it already. Look it up and stream it. It's uh, really good. Doesn't it paint the picture well. Yeah, speaks to everybody involved with his early career. Yeah. Everyone from Logan Brothers uh, going back. Uh, just some remarkable stuff and a great piece of journalism and uh, documentary making from uh, the great Tim Sheridan. You alluded to it last week how he doesn't like leaving the dressing rooms and that was really portrayed that he's the last one oh, to be kicked out by security. Yep. It's his little sanctuary, I'm not leaving. Yep. And it, they finished the special perfectly by saying, that sort of sums up your career. You're not going, are you? You're just hanging around and uh, <laughs> he's going to hang around maybe to, to 4.50 uh, and after that, who knows, he could maybe work for the referees if you're being uh, somewhat cynical, was because the officiating. Well, speaking of cycles and the Gold Coast Titans, you know, suddenly find themselves in this cycle of cat, uh, sacking coaches every couple of years as the Tigers have got themselves in that cycle as well. Well, if you're the boss of the referees, you get you probably get... Yet two to three years as the boss of the referees and Bernard Sutton is in that situation at the moment and it works like this. You get year one and everyone's pretty happy. You make some changes. Honeymoon. There's a few little you know, bits and pieces bob up during the season but everyone's like, ah, oh, it's year one of the new bloke. It's okay. Um, and then in year, well, here we are in year two for Bernie. The, uh, the ref's crisis. <laughs> yeah, the place is a disaster and... Uh, he'll probably survive beyond this year, but there's no way he gets past year three because that's just how it works when you're the refs coach and you can go back through everybody who's been the refs coach and, you know, the vast majority of them last two to three seasons at most. And eventually the pressure and all the drama just wears you down and you either pull the pin yourself or they uh, they move you on. And uh, that'll be the case this time around. So if, if Cameron is, I don't think he's thinking about being the boss of the referees anytime in the near future because it's only, it's a very short-term gig. And if you're moving interstate to take up the job, you uh, rent, don't buy. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'd, here, I, don't, I don't have the answer. Mm. The m- mistakes are being made, and but I've said in the past, I don't have the answer to that. I don't understand um, a couple, some of the things that the bunker have come up with in recent times. There's been calls made on field over the weekend which didn't, weren't referred to the bunker, which I would have thought would have been referred to the bunker. The Moses Suley knock-on, for example. Uh, the couple in the, uh, the Rabbitohs uh, Seagulls game. So The human error that comes from someone saying we'll stick with the on-field decision when it wasn't actually the on-field decision. That's right, exactly. Um, that, that, that is going to happen, isn't it? That happened in the, the uh, Knights and Bulldogs game. Yep, yep. So, I'm, you know, I, I don't have the answer. And then and, just uh, we've to, been through this ad nauseum. And just to illustrate what a tough job they have, last week when they didn't stop play as Petahiku knelt, not wobbled or lay unconscious, as he knelt, they were slaughtered for not stopping the game. Yep. A week down the track, I had two stoppages on Friday night, Gold Coast, Penrith, both 
Dale Copley eventually failed his HIA, but he was standing and okay and doing a test. And then they stopped it again when Riley Jacks picked up a rib injury, to which a commentator said, oh, we're stopping the game for rib injuries now, are we? Basically uh, pointing out that we don't need to stop for this. So there it is. One week they don't stop it and are slaughtered. Next week they do and are slaughtered. There's, yeah, what hope have they got? You can't win. Yeah, it's, it's an unwinnable situation for them. And as I said last week, if I was a referee now, every time somebody fell over and got hurt, I'd, it didn't matter what it was, and they didn't move or just you know just looked as if they were hurt, I'd say, time off. Taking no chances here. I don't know what's wrong with him. I'm not an expert. Let's bring the experts out. Let them deal with it. And that's the way it's going to go. And we're going to have more stoppages in the game as a result. And that's just, if we are serious about taking a duty of care and looking after players, yeah. if that is, as it was stated last week, is the most important thing in the game at the moment, or well, then it has to be that way. And we're going to have teams, uh, you know, and, and games where play gets stopped and teams get a breather. And a chance that happened yesterday in the Cowboys and the Roosters. Who was it had a knock to the, the, the cheekbone or whatever else? Jordan Kahu. Jordan Kahu came off the field um, and subsequently failed mm. the, the HIA. But, you know, the, the referees, r- rightly so there, stopped play and that's going to be the way it goes. So I, I have no issues with them doing that. I would stop play every time to remove myself from criticism. Because you're not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. And you're worried about making decisions on the field, not trying to That's diagnose right. a player. Uh, was I loved the game that you did on Saturday night, uh, Brisbane Warriors. It finished in a draw, one point each. Uh, I'm going to have my say on Golden Point because I think I'm in the minority. I love it. I'll tell you why I love it. Because I share a lounge room with excited viewers who can't take their eye off the television. Entertainment, who's going to win it as we go from one end to the other end? It might not be your classic rugby league that you see in the first 20 minutes of a semi-final, but it is uh, a little bit like cricket's super over. Or it's a little bit like the new rules to decide... The Wimbledon final. We have to have in this modern world, Phil, our producer, <laughs> an, end, an end of the game, an exciting climax to the game, not one point each. Now, well, the, we, the it yesterday, is, we had golden point without it going that, to golden point because... Which is my point was... Cooper Cronk missed a field goal. Jake Clifford missed a field goal. Luke Keary missed a field goal. Clifford missed another one. Clifford kicked one in regulation time with less than 60 seconds to go. So we had that scenario that plays out that everybody supposedly hates. That's right. When he gets the golden point, oh, it's just a, a random field goal shootout. Well, we had that in regulation yesterday. So do the critics the who say, the Cowboys. do away with it, just finish it after 80, don't we then get golden point in the period from 70 to 80 or, you know, 70 second, whenever they start taking their shots for field goal? It's just moving golden point into the regulation part of the game. So I will... Uh, listen to and, and maybe delve into the solution that is you can kick a golden or you kick a point in the extra period, which is golden try. If you score a try, the game finishes on the spot. But if you want to slot a field goal, the game continues and if it, at the end of 90 you're ahead by one, well, good luck to you, you win. How does that scenario sit with you? Yeah, it plays okay. But, you know, I, they talk about the effect on the table and the ladder and, and places and, and Spots in the top eight can be decided on, you know, random field goals and, you know, in extra time as opposed to other games where it's 80 minutes only. Well, you go through all the seasons, invariably the, the latter wouldn't have changed. It might have, it might have meant maybe ninth gets into eighth. Mm. But, you know, eighth isn't going to win the comp. And certainly this year, the way things are shaping up, eighth isn't going to go close to winning the comp. So Which is a perfect it does, segue. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make doesn't change things that dramatically that it's so important that uh, we need to, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. And if we didn't have Golden Point, 
it wasn't a scoring play. We wouldn't have seen Payne Haas pull off one of the defensive plays of the season, stopping Chanel Harris-DeVita scoring a metre out from the line in Golden Point. It saved the game for the Broncos. Now, it won't save their season because I think for the Warriors and the Broncos, as it turns out, having the draw, mm. only getting one point, not one of them getting two, it was as good as a loss because they still need, if you do the maths, they still both need, in all likelihood, six more wins to make the finals and they've only got now eight games, not nine games to do it in. Exactly. And rather than being out of the seat, back in the seat, out of the seat, back in the seat, I'd be kicking the cat out of the house or trying to find that stray beer at the back of the fridge. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be enjoying myself like I am watching Golden Point. So seeing as I've alluded to the fact that I think the Warriors and the Broncos have just both taken a loss and are now six wins, nine losses and one draw each. This sounds like your report card was. The report card. Let's go from the top. Because I'll start with keep the first weekend of October free, mm. which is the category we had at the end of eight weeks. Now, keeping the first weekend of October free, I had the Roosters, the Rabbitohs, the Raiders, the Storm and the Sharks. I've omitted one from that group and that one is the Sharks, who now find themselves in a real dogfight just to make the top eight. So I've got the Storm, the Rabbitohs, the Roosters and the Raiders keeping the first weekend of October free. All... Strong chances, I would think, at this stage still to make the grand final. How concerned are you about the Roosters who've won, what, two of their last seven? Uh, in the, yeah, in the, so between the end of the first term and the second term, if yeah. you want to put it that way, yeah. they won three of eight. But two of their last seven, once they get everybody back on deck, James Tedesco didn't play yesterday, neither did Boyd Cordner. Um, now that Jake Friend is back and he was, I thought, very good yesterday, first game back after missing more than two months of footy, I think um, they'll be back to the Roosters that we know have come to expect they will be uh, by some stage well before now in the end of the minor premiership. They're still, they're still a massive show of going back to back. Which is exactly what Jake Friend said yesterday. I interviewed him and I said that to him. How concerned are you by this mid-season stretch? And sometimes you can tell players are just speaking but not actually feeling it and thinking it. You could tell that he knew, well, I'm back now. We didn't have Tedesco or Cordner today. We've had any number of other excuses. I think they're very comfortable with where they are. Uh, not so comfortable with a couple of little glitches yesterday defensively, but they know they can fix that. And and you're right, Melbourne, South, Canberra, Roosters, they best be not planning a trip anywhere first weekend in October. Yeah, the Roosters only gave up two tries yesterday, so it wasn't mm. a... I know Trent Robinson was pretty critical about the two defensive lapses that led to those tries, but it wasn't a complete disaster, so they're still... They're, they're fine. Yeah. Um, we might be contenders. We had the Eels, Sea Eagles and Dragons after eight weeks. Well... Uh, guess who's missing from that little group? <laughs> yes. The Dragons. Uh, and I've changed that, the title. Here we are, eight weeks out. I've changed the title of that grouping to week three of the finals would be a great result. I think if the Sea Eagles or the Eels were to make a prelim final, given where they've come from, I reckon that would be a very good result. I couldn't see them, I couldn't see them winning a prelim final. Um, and if they were to make one, I think they would have overachieved. Yep, especially Manly who we've said earlier on in the season, I had them much closer to the bottom of the table, maybe only one or two positions above it than where they are now in fifth. And that, that's a phenomenal performance from Des Hasler, but also the team to deliver for Des. So, yep, okay, keep going, Wise. Keep going. Newcastle, I had them in the top four. I still think they can uh, do something. Newcastle, what say you? Uh, Newcastle, I've got not finishing in the top four. I've got them making September or in that group trying to make September. The Knights, the Panthers, the Sharks, the Tigers 
and the Cowboys off the back of that win yesterday. That was a season, uh, you know, uh, saving win. Um, they at seven and nine, I can't rule them out like the Tigers on the same record. So I've got those those five teams now. Um, they're in that race between somewhere between five and ten on the ladder. Well, the team I believe in there, Newcastle, but. Penrith, and and again, I've been guilty of ruling them out. Yep. But having spoken with a couple of figures very close to the Penrith setup on Friday after the game, that they are amazed how far they have come in a short time, and not just in terms of the six straight victories. They're, they're talking beyond that. They're talking attitude, belief, culture, the big picture sort of stuff. Two and six after the first eight weeks, six and two in that middle third of the season. We'll see what they can do. They've got three games only against the top eight of their last eight games. Mm. It's a pretty good draw. They don't have Melbourne, and they only have the Roosters in round 24. They've got uh, Canberra coming up in two weeks' time. They also play the Knights in round 25. So it's a pretty good draw. For the Panthers, I can't see why. Um, the attack is an issue. They, point scoring is a problem for them, but I can't see why they couldn't go on and, uh, and make yeah, the top eight. So. Bottom three for tackle bust, line breaks, tries and points heading into that game the other night. You're right, was they've got to improve in that area. And off either to Bali or Byron Bay... It's the Bulldogs, the Titans, we've known that for some time, the Warriors, Broncos and Dragons. They're also headed to Bali or Byron Bay. They can't make the eight. The Warriors, the Broncos and the Dragons cannot make the top eight. What about the Broncos? They've got a a few games at Suncorp. Broncos, they do. They've got, um, as far as where I am, I'm madly flipping back here. You know what? I didn't even go through their run here because I don't believe they can win six. They need to win six of their last eight. I don't believe they can do that. They've got the Dogs next and the Titans. The Titans beat them only not that long ago back in round 13. Then they face the Melbourne Storm. They've got the Cowboys in Townsville. They've got the Panthers at home. They've got the Rabbitohs. They've got the Eels and the Bulldogs. I can't, I can't see them winning six of eight, and they have no. to win six of eight. No, okay. But I'll still say that of that bunch, they're the most likely and, surprises. And while Lara Pitt isn't with us, uh, she texted me yesterday and said, or was on Twitter, I think, uh, we're going to Bali. So <laughs> she was... Uh, you might she, see the Dragons there. She was resigned to the fact that the boys are going to be uh, playing in... Uh, and Paul McGregor said, we can still make the grand final. Well, you know what, Paul? You can make the grand final. It'll be the grand final of the Cooter Beach uh, Pineapple Daiquiri uh, Margarita Touch Footy Comp uh, sometime in September. That's it. Uh, They're not making the grand final in the NRL, but they might make the grand final of the touch footy on Cooter Beach. So was eight rounds to go, eight full rounds, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Lock yourself into the lounge room or behind the microphone. It's going to be some race to the top eight. I can't wait. Awesome. Look forward to next week. Until then, you can take me now. I have seen it all.